Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of MGR Unplugged. This is your host, Manuel Gildel Real, and I'm here with uh, David again. And uh, guess what, David? We're in uh, earnings season. This is um, our favorite time of the year, four times. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say four times here. It's now once <laughs> It's our favorite uh, one-fourth time of the year. We, we love, uh, we are both um, um, uh, retail investors and we have our own investments, but we definitely like to follow uh, the market and we definitely follow the companies that we work with or we come to in touch with uh, on our daily basis with marketing and prospecting and everything else so anyways it's interesting we um just as we um start recording this is um uh, about two in the afternoon uh pacific time and the companies that are reporting today are reporting as we speak including a few of them and uh, i was just looking at one of them is actually where you just came back from starbucks <laughs> your favorite coffee shop so uh, it, it looks like they did pretty good, no? Or how? How did it, I mean, I, I go there all the time, so they must be doing pretty good just because I go there. Yeah, they actually. What, what was most impressive? The reason why I think their stocks up about three, four percent after hours. But the main thing that they did was they increased same store sales by six percent, uh, which is massive. I mean. That's just because they probably increase the prices more than the people want more coffees. Well, I think it's a combination of things and. Because what's really impressed me with Starbucks over the past couple of years is that they've managed to continue to grow because, I mean, same store sales, especially because Starbucks has been around for a while now and they have tens of thousands of stores, it's not easy to grow same store sales that much because you're often dealing with the same amount of people in the same area. So how do you get them to keep spending more? And especially 6% more is quite a bit. Um, and I think... The two, because really they went through a bit of inflection point a few years ago where I think, I think Starbucks at, used to be seen as almost a, a luxury item, mm -hmm. but then it became very mainstream to where I don't think anybody considers Starbucks luxury anymore. Now it's still a, um, it's a status symbol type thing. It is and it isn't. I would say because there's more boutique coffee shops now that I but think would ask, be more, but I think the biggest thing that they've done is actually through their app. Their app has been has continued to gain millions of downloads and they did a major overall overhaul of their app earlier this year and they have a fantastic reward system. They have really good notifications. Um, overall, they're just finally kind of catching up with that technology that uh, really has allowed them to grow their sales and increase the revenue from their loyal customers. But, but let me ask you one thing. I'm not sure you had a chance. This is just uh, almost like live as we speak. But uh, did you see if the um, revenue or per-store revenue increase was mostly in US, US um, stores or it was mostly China or overseas? Because I know they have a big expansion plan for China and that was right, one but, of their hopes. But the then, big thing was, was the same store sales, not mm -hmm. the expansion. Expansion is one thing. And right. yes, they're still trying to expand, but it was their existing US stores that have been around for decades. Okay, so existing US versus existing overseas. I believe it was company-wide. So okay. I don't know the full breakdown, but basically they grew the same store from last year made Six percent more this year, which is quite a jump considering, like I said, these stores are many of them are 10, 20 years old. So it's not like they're new. It's hard to keep growing the revenues of the same locations, but they've been successful in doing so. And that's why the stock has, I mean, really roared over the past year or so because mm -hmm. they've been very successful. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a big question mark when Howard Saltz uh, retired from being CEO and they didn't know exactly uh, how much the dealership was going to be affected, you know, or affecting um, Starbucks. Um, revenues overall but it seems like he's uh, recovered without a glitch basically i think the two major things is that they've doubled down on the experience of being in a starbucks and really people using it as the it's 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 what you call kind of the third space everyone has their home and then their office but then i mean obviously some people use starbucks as their office but it's it's the third space that everyone needs and in some cases that could be a park it could be a mall it could be whatever but more and more it seems like coffee shops and obviously starbucks itself are becoming that third space and they've been very successful. And then on top of that, with the app, building loyal customers, they have constant rewards and all these things for shopping more frequently with them. Um, and yeah, I think they've been doing a great job. So I've been impressed with that. Yeah, I was, I was actually, as you were talking, I was looking at uh, some live results right now on a couple of finance websites. And actually, they are, Starbucks is now on an all-time high. So that's actually uh, yeah. pretty remarkable, you know, considering 
how long it's been in business and uh, the ups and downs that they've had and uh, the fact that they are now an all-time high at this time uh, or at this stage of the growth is, is actually And they continue to grow while being very profitable, which is obviously the most difficult thing to do, but they've been successful. Well, that. they are a very... Uh, the, the, the margins of Starbucks are... One of the highest, obviously, the fact that you can buy a coffee there for four dollars right. versus and one dollar somewhere else. I mean, that ex- tells you that exactly. it's all the experience the th- that you're paying for. They have lots of competition from McDonald's and Burger King. Like Burger King, I believe, had Dunkin a thing Donuts where it, and all that. it was like fifty cents for a coffee. Mm-hmm. Something, mm-hmm. you know. So lots of pressure on the price, but they've actually been able to continue to increase prices without losing their customer uh, And the good thing, one thing I like about Starbucks too is they have a good employee benefits too. I mean, the, the guys there, are, uh, they seem pretty happy. I mean, there's always, I mean, there are always younger students and things like that, but most of them are pretty happy working there. They get good benefits. Some of them, they get this um, uh, aid, student aid and scholarships and things like that. So uh, medical benefits as well. So it's, it's uh, overall, it's a, um, it's a company that a lot of people would like to work for. Well, they can and, afford know, to younger. do that because of their margins. That's exactly. the thing. And exactly. they've realized that the Starbucks customer doesn't buy a Starbucks because they're looking for a quick caffeine boost. If you're looking for a quick caffeine boost, there's a million cheap options mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. The Starbucks customer is looking for the experience, and that's what they provide. That's why the price competition from a $1 coffee at McDonald's has not affected them at all. Really. And I'll tell you one thing. I mean, obviously, for American consumers... Um, you know, uh, regardless of income level, they go to Starbucks, buy a coffee, you know, this coffee, that coffee. But uh, when you travel and you go to most European countries or any other countries uh, where Starbucks is present, people also buy coffee there. It's like a, it's like a status quo, like a symbol of uh, going there. You know, like I said last week, I was in Spain yeah, even a couple in- of weeks ago on, on the, the Starbucks store, which is quite a few. I mean, over there in, in Madrid specifically, they were actually pretty full. Even in other countries like Spain, France, other countries that are known for their own artisanal coffee, mm-hmm. they've still been able to be successful. Obviously, Italy is really the only one that they haven't penetrated in. But as I far- thought they actually opened the first store there. Yeah, but sure. it's not nationwide. Okay. And, but really, uh, countries like Spain, France, Germany, maybe Germany not as much as are known mm-hmm. for their coffee, but especially Spain and France. The UK as the well. The UK, which is a very much a tea country. They've mm-hmm. been able to penetrate there despite what you might consider boundaries. So mm-hmm. overall, Starbucks keeps being successful. We'll, keep, we'll so see if they're able to maintain the growth. Well, I don't know if I'm a buyer. I mean, they're at all-time highs, but uh, I, used to, I don't uh, give investment advice. I just tell you what companies are doing right, and people right. can decide on their own. I actually, full disclosure, I used to own Starbucks. I don't own it right now, but I used to. And uh, I sold it. I, you know, I made enough money. I sold it. You know, It's one of those things that I... Uh, I decided my, my target selling price, and I did, and I was happy when I did it. And obviously, you could say I could have kept it, whatever, but it doesn't matter. It's, it is what it is. So, who's next? All right. So, uh, I this is a company that I'm not very familiar with, um, but you are. It's um, Snap. Mm, okay. And uh, obviously, parent company of Snapchat, which went public about a year ago, two years ago, mm. I think, or maybe more. It's been kind of two. quick. It's two been a while. Two and a half. I think it was... Winter 2017. It's being a kind of nicknamed the uh, testing ground for uh, Facebook and Instagram since everything that they try, then if it works, Facebook will copy it. If it doesn't, then right. Snapchat takes the losses. So Snapchat finally reached, or I should say re, re-reached their IPO price. Yeah, um, exactly. And really, I've been kind of skeptical of Snapchat myself, the app, because... Before, they were the, the dominant app for the, uh, I would say, you know, ages 13 to 25 generation, the Gen X, I guess you could call it, and some and then a lot of millennials. But after Instagram stories copied Snapchat stories, um, a lot of people moved over to Instagram. And that still continues to be the case. But where Snapchat and Snapchat story usage, you can look at the data, the, the, the numbers show that uh, stories usage is just down a lot on Snapchat, but where they still do continue to succeed and they finally passed the 200 million uh, user mark, monthly active user mark, is in the messaging side. Mm-hmm. They still have a great messaging platform and Facebook has not quite been able to replicate that yet because it's unique in... Uh, you know, Instagram itself has tried the disappearing messages, but that never really took off. And now Facebook is with their new um, kind of 
chat app that they were that mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg yeah, discussed right. a few months ago that was going to combine Instagram, Facebook, and mm -hmm. WhatsApp. We'll see what happens with that. But so far, the thing that has not been able to be replicated is the chat part, and that's where they've been able to be successful, and they still have over 200 million users now. So they're not dead yet. They are, they're still on the, on a growth path, but I think really they're going to have to find the problem with, with chat is, as you know, obviously we've seen with WhatsApp, it's really hard to monetize a messaging app. WhatsApp hasn't been monetized yet. And it's, I don't know what, seven years old now or so. Oh, I mean, it's 2012 or More. maybe earlier. Anyways, it's maybe almost a decade well, old the, and they uh, still so, haven't monetized so obviously, it. So obviously um, Snapchat must be selling ad space to, to have revenue. So they do. They sell it on the stories side but as i said they're not really they're not growing in stories in fact they're they're shrinking as far as stories usage because the people who use stories have really migrated over to instagram and that's where and we'll talk about facebook later but a lot of if you look at their uh, and even Sheryl sandberg and, and facebook themselves have said that uh, the future of facebook's ad growth is actually going to be through stories not so much through the timeline but stories and groups, they, they, they said the same thing. Yeah, but on, especially on Instagram, if you look at the, and we work obviously in the ad space, if you look at the amount of ad buy, just, I mean, I remember last, last summer, uh, we were really figuring out how to run uh, Instagram stories ads because it was relatively new. And now just a year later, if you're not running Instagram stories, you're missing out majorly um, as far as uh, basically, uh, or ROAS on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it's it's become a major ad group that I don't necessarily think if you told people two years ago, they would have believed. But the problem is that uh, the re the, if you look at stories compared to WhatsApp, Facebook has been throwing ads all over both Facebook stories and Instagram stories. WhatsApp really doesn't have any ads but yet. With uh, with Snapchat, has the uh, the demographic um, group or, or target changed over time, or still pretty not, much a young? Uh, it's still. Uh, I mean, very, it used to be a teenagers type platform, and I'm not sure it's, it still is. It's I mean, still what is the higher um, end of the of the spectrum for probably Snapchat? I would probably say thirty. 30 uh, but beyond that i don't think there's very many users i mean we can i can look at the exact numbers but it's basically the people who were 25 year olds five years ago are now 30 and maybe they still use it but um, so we'll they have, have not people, been able to they, penetrate they just drop off they move on to other platforms so they just disappear or no i mean, I mean they, they increase the monthly active users so either they have more, more well they have younger people but they have not been able to do make the leap like instagram did where instagram in the beginning was only young people pretty much but they made the leap to f people in their 40s 50s 60s everybody uses instagram now snapchat right. has yet to make that leap and I don't know that they will to be honest with you I think the only way they make that leap is just that over time their users will age up mm -hmm. but I don't know that necessarily retaining the older users right. while acquiring young but I don't know if they're gonna go get the 50 year old to maybe start they don't using even Snapchat. want to they want to have that niche well Yes and no. I mean, because they want, Facebook, they Facebook want user is, growth where they can. Yeah, get but it. Facebook is becoming more of an older people type uh, yeah, I'm, social but, uh, media platform. That's why Instagram. Younger people fled Facebook a long time ago. And, yeah, and yeah, that's well known. But Instagram is really the the main platform now, and I mean, really, it wouldn't surprise me if Instagram actually became more valuable as far as valuation than mm -hmm. Facebook itself within the next five years. Well, I mean, Facebook is, is apparently moving towards making Instagram the old Facebook and making Facebook more of a group, right? a chat exchange. And so things like that. we'll talk about Facebook more yeah, in a right, little bit because we want to talk about the antitrust stuff. But Snapchat, uh, they're, they're back on a growth trajectory, which is good because they stopped growing well, for Hopefully this a won't be a one-off because this is the first time they actually, I think their, their stock is back to 17, which uh, is their IPO price. Right. So it's the first time they reached that price back again where they've been losing quarter after quarter. So we'll see, we'll see if this is a one-off or if it continues. The unique thing that Snapchat has that at least is an opportunity for them to drive revenue in the short term and maybe in the long term as well is that they do have a lot of penetration with the Gen X and kind of the younger millennials and even Gen Z, that's even the younger generation. Is that the youngest? I know. No, I'm I think sorry. We're running out of letters. Gen X is Gen older. Y. I meant Gen Gen Y is millennial. Gen mm -hmm. Z is what I meant, not Gen X. Sorry, mm -hmm. it's hard to keep track of these things. X Y Z. Anyways, basically, the tw under 25s, they have a lot of penetration and 
a lot of ad space to be sold. So for advertisers, if you have a product that's targeting younger people, it's a great opportunity. The ads are not that expensive. And so that could be a short term. We could see the next year, 24 months, them grow their ad revenue because just there's lots of advertisers that want to reach that audience. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as their long-term growth, uh, we'll have to see what, what happens. I'm still not convinced. If you ask me, I probably wouldn't buy it. But I'm not. I, I usually buy companies that I that I use, that I, I'm familiar with, that I consume. And Snap is not one of them. So, um, you know, I'm not even enthused with uh, that particular stock. Their biggest threat, really, and uh, we're probably gonna have a future episode on this company, would be TikTok because TikTok. Uh, for those who don't know, it's basically. Uh, Chinese, or what basically a Chinese company called ByteDance, which is massive in China, and they bought the app Musically, which was massive with the like probably 10 to 16 year old crowd. Mm -hmm. And now they've kind of morphed it into, if people remember Vine, kind of a Vine esque app, but it's it's a little different. Um, it's, it's basically a video sharing app, and it's grown massively. It's the fastest growing app in the world right now, as far as users go. And they are the biggest threat because young people are definitely using TikTok. Now, I have my qualms with TikTok, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But that's probably the biggest threat to Snapchat right now. All right. Very good. All right. Let's move on to uh, another company that actually did very well this uh, second quarter, and that is um, Intel. We have a lot of Intel people here in Phoenix. Uh, um, in fact, in this area where we are offices, um, there's, there's not one, but two massive major buildings right. like it yeah. looks almost like if people have seen uh the show mr like robot city. they even have their own their own street names and everything intel avenue if, intel court if people have seen the show mr robot and they have this like massive uh i think it's e-corp building mm -hmm. it looks exactly like that and there's two of them in our area but anyways uh yes they did well is it because of apple's uh, so there's, purchase? there's kind of two pieces of news um one, they beat earnings. Uh, I talk a lot about, or not a lot, but a decent amount about Intel and the chip space on my podcast, uh, MGR Edge. But uh, to give this sh uh, a short, make it a short story, Intel has been falling behind over the past couple of years as far as their... They used to always be on the forefront of the chip space. They, If you wanted a great chip, you bought an Intel. That has not been the case over the past two years. Uh, AMD has their what's called the Ryzen series, mm -hmm. and they've been able to make uh, chips that basically beat them on all the benchmarks while also are cheaper, which means that everybody who's looking for the higher-end performance has been going to in, uh, AMD, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, they've just been falling behind, and as far as the manufacturing goes, there's Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, uh, which has been basically kicking their butt as far as, uh, you know, the big thing that all these chip manufacturers are trying to do is make smaller chips with high performance, and so... Right now, Intel is not able to create the 7 nm, 7 nanometer chips, uh, which is the smallest. I mean, there's four, but it's that's farther away. So right now, it's only uh, TSMC and Samsung that are able to do that. TSMC is the leader, and really, Intel has fallen very far behind. They have a 14, which is double the size, and they have a 9, but the performance is not the same. So really, not to get too technical, but basically, they're, they've not been doing as well, and they've really struggled on the manufacturing side because they're one of the few companies that designs and yeah, manufactures its own right. chips. AMD just designs them and then outsources the manufacturing mm -hmm. to TSMC. Mm -hmm. And so because they do both, uh, they have more pricing power, but they also are taking the risk of falling behind in performance, which is exactly what's happened. And uh, but this quarter they were able—they've been getting smashed in the last few quarters, just underperforming, underperforming. This mm -hmm. quarter they were able to beat expectations. Whether they'll be able to continue that, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, they're still obviously a major player, but they have not, they've lost their dominance, basically. Well, well there, was a, there were some big doubts with them because when the PC business was starting to decline and people were the, just migrating from, from the traditional computer or personal computer to so phones, smartphones, tablets, and things. The two major areas of chips right now are not in the, the uh, consumer computer. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really in the cloud and server business, mm -hmm. which is where Intel is still dominant. That's where they ha they they compete the best. On the and, mobile. And mobile. Right. In mobile, they've completely fallen apart. And just today, they sold their mobile chip business to Apple for a billion dollars. That's it. 
Okay, mm. Intel is a massive multi multi billion dollar company, and they sold their entire mobile wing to Apple with twenty two hundred employees for a billion dollars. That's absolutely nothing. Um, and it just kind of shows the failure that Intel had in the mobile mm-hmm. space. Well, what do you think Apple is going to do with that? Oh, I think it's a smart move for Apple. They're, they're oh, take- obviously at that price, but are they going to just uh, well, do it for control or do they just do it because... So there's two reasons. One, Apple just came out of the whole Qualcomm ordeal where they mm-hmm. had these lawsuits for years. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but basically Qualcomm wanted to take, for using their, their chips, they wanted to take a royalty, uh, basically a percentage not they instead of just charging for the chips they take a percentage of the device revenue which apple says is absolutely ridiculous we're not going to give you a percentage of our you know $1200 phone just because you have the patent on this certain chip it's not the chip that makes the phone worth $1200 the chip is used in tons of phones it's our apple brand and our other technology but that was basically the case so they sold it a few months ago but apple wants to get away from qualcomm if they can and move towards um, basically bringing everything in-house. Now, it is a risk because, again, they could face the same that Intel is facing where if they're designing and manufacturing everything, yes, it gives them more control over their supply chain, but they also take the risk of falling behind in uh, hardware performance, which they already are. If I mean, apples to apples, no pun intended, uh, their perf- hardware performance compared to the top-of-the-line Android devices is not the same, but because they have the better software, obviously they're able to outcompete. Um, so the only danger is they could fall behind. But for the cheap price that they bought it at, it's worth the shot. If it doesn't work, you just go back to buying other people's chips. Very good. All right. So um, I was just looking now. Uh, Google or Alphabet, the uh, parent company, is also reporting uh, right now. Actually, I think they just finished a few minutes ago, and they also um, improved over the previous quarter. I don't know if you remember, but Google actually had a um, They had a their little, first scare. I know. Time. They had a little lapse in the first quarter. People will say, you know, that people are used to certain companies always be like, yeah. um, you know, increasing expectations, and Google Alphabet is one of those. And uh, in the first quarter, people were kind of freaking out because they didn't uh, meet the uh, investors or analyst expectations, and they actually went a little lower. So, But second quarter, back to normal, they are actually uh, an increase of 16% um, over the previous quarter. And, um, Is that earnings or revenue? Revenue. Revenue increase of uh, 16%, and uh, mostly... Guess what? It's at sales. <laughs> well, that I was going to ask you, what's the breakdown? Because we don't have all the details now. They basically just reporting, and even even some of the at sales revenue is not is excluding what they call TAC, which is uh, traffic acquisition cost, which is what they pay all their affiliates for for their traffic and all that. But uh, overall, they went up compared, you know, sixteen percent, and uh, it seems like it's more back to normal. And the, the most of the, I mean, we, we've seen that ourselves. I mean, it's funny because. You know, that's why I said that I like to invest in companies or, or look at companies that we work with. And we've seen the ad costs continue to increase. And we, we, we refer to this with our clients as, as ad inflation. I mean, we're talking the country inflation is, I know you disagree, but it's like 2 2.5%, whatever. Uh, Google or basically ad space inflation is, in, is, is incredible. I mean, the cost is like for the last two years or year and a half, it's been like 25% more expensive to, to the average cost um, for a banner, for ad, for space, for basically uh, cost per click. And uh, not only with Google, again, Facebook will come later too, but all the online marketing or digital advertising has increased the cost. And this is basically what Google is doing. Um, one of the questions that we have, and we I think we mentioned this too in, on our podcast, is the fact that um, when it used to be Google advertising and then you have Facebook or social advertising with Facebook, Instagram, now Amazon is also becoming a major player in the advertising space. And we, we mentioned before that when it comes to product search, Amazon is starting to dominate. But um, as far as um, intent-based searches, uh, people that are looking for specific uh, topics on 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 uh, you know locations or everything um google still dominates and and it's basically what we're seeing now so let me ask you this because you're intimately involved with google and you have been for probably a decade now uh i saw this question posed on twitter and i thought it was really interesting and when you kind of think about it uh it's really intriguing because basically 90 percent of their revenue comes from ad Mm -hmm. sales yeah 
and uh, and their profits is almost a hundred percent because even though they get revenue from their Pixel phones and it, uh, it's keep not in mind, very when profitable. When we say Google, uh, it's also YouTube Alpha, as well, and it's Alphabet. I it's Alphabet, say. which is a brand company, but it also includes YouTube. So advertising the question else. that was posed was: if you separated Google's search business from everything else, and you had oh. Google Search, and then you had Google Conglomerate, which was everything else. Mm-hmm. What would be the valuation? Because uh, I think Google's valued at eight hundred billion. What would be the valuation of everything else? I don't think it would be it, almost nothing. I think. no, it's absolutely nothing. I mean, in fact, the the other businesses are losing money. I mean, a lot many of, of the yeah, they uh, use the ad business to fund exactly, it. exactly. They they have their what was it called before? It was their uh, they Google X, Google X now, but it used to be. Um, I think they changed it to Google. They've well, they have different wings. There's Google Ventures, which is their yeah, VC, right? And then they have Google X, and uh, but anyways, another name. anyways, yeah, no, they 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 have a lot of those things, and they also do a lot of acquisitions. They acquire robotic companies, they acquire AI companies, they acquire all kinds of companies just to acquire them, and then. If they use them, they use them. If not, they just basically right. They have a up. massive R and D budget, right. one of the biggest right. in the world. But no, as you said, if it weren't for the search business, which is their core business, ninety uh, percent of the revenue, the rest is just basically peanuts. I mean, they they are trying to be in, in all places, including way more and things like that. Right. But search business is where their is their core. So, uh, do you think that? Of all their of all their other businesses, because obviously the other thing major asset that they have is Android, but Android is just an open source. Uh, software and the Google Play Store is where they make the most money from that. So that's probably their largest business besides search. If there was another business that were to really take off and be a major revenue driver for them, what do you think it would be of all well, the ones I think, they have? Well, I think YouTube is an interesting. Uh, well, I, I, let's consider uh, that part of search because that well, is but, very. But I'm not looking at search. I'm looking at now the YouTube TV and all that. So the subscription. That's true. The subscription portion of YouTube now could could significantly add revenues to to Google as well because before it was just the ads becoming in fact Google ads became um it used to be Google AdWords, and I became Google Ads to basically consolidate everything. And now you can advertise um, on YouTube and everything with the same basically m- main console. So I think the YouTube TV, which they're advertising to death now, even on TV and everything else, uh, could become a little bit of a recurring revenue, like uh, competing with Netflix and all those as far as uh, revenue generating. And we'll get to Netflix in a second too. Um, but I think uh, YouTube on its own, not just the ad revenue, but also oh, the YouTube is worth is going to be Con- worth conservatively probably a hundred to hundred fifty. Well, billion. yeah, if if not more in the future. And keep in mind, I mean, YouTube is the number two search engine too, right? Which is also basically part of Google Alphabet. Do you think at any point though that I mean, their hardware they kind of take the lower end route? Not that they have. I mean, the pixels, the Pixel phone especially has been high quality, but they still offer a much cheaper alternative than Apple and other. Uh, companies and, and they did the same thing with Chromebooks and all that stuff. I mean, they or, always try uh, under under um, you know um, Google Docs and all that stuff. I mean, they try to do things that are more uh, entry level for everybody to afford or be able to use at no cost. And they they also have like very low entry level Chromebooks and, and the Pixel yeah. phones and so forth. And I think that's fine. But uh, like as you said before, that's not their revenue generating business. To, to me, the biggest thing that has the most potential, even though I don't know that it will actually be anywhere close to the ad business is their enterprise side mm-hmm. with Google Cloud and trying to compete with AWS and Microsoft. Um, and then also their um, um, Amazon Web Services. Right, right. But they had, I'm totally blanking. Which one? Uh, on, on Google, as far as their enterprise business, I think that's the one that has the most potential to be another major source of revenue. But they have so much competition now that... Uh, it's, it's tough. It's I mean, difficult. What these major companies are doing, I'm talking the, the Facebooks, social media, Instagram, um, Amazon, uh, Google, Apple, they all try to get customers to be part of their ecosystem. Right. That's the main thing. That's why I think uh, even Amazon came with their own phone. They, uh, what was the name of Fire phone? phone? The Fire Phone, which was a fire f- fiasco. Yeah. And they, they, they basically eliminated it. But the whole, the whole purpose is like they have a main revenue stream, which in Google's case is search and Amazon is sales and Facebook is social media and advertising. And then they try to come up with all these other tools where it's just trying to get people not to leave their ecosystem. Like you are there, you are in that dome that is Facebook or Amazon or whatever, and then you can do everything from there. Facebook came with their own phone too that had the, the home screen was basically Facebook. And and so, so you know, it, it, Apple, the same thing. You, you, you stay with the Apple 
ecosystem with, with Apple's their- unique that they actually make more money from their hardware than their platform. All the other companies yes. make more money from the platform than hardware. But they're also, you know, they, they, they have their Apple Music. Obviously, they just got rid of iTunes right. now. Now they they're Apple shifting Podcast. more towards services. Right. Because obviously the hardware is capped. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be hard right. for them to sell more phones. Exactly. But... Anyways, that was just my question for you. Separating the search business no, from no, everything we, we else. No, no, we know. I mean, in fact, uh, the numbers basically show thirty-two point six billion dollars in this quarter just from ad sales revenue. Yeah, so big, I mean, you multiply that the biggest times, ad company in the world, right? Exactly. I mean, that's a chunk of change when you're paying, you know, a dollar. But that's why they can afford to spend so much on Waymo mm-hmm. and buying all they these can different companies. They spend ventures. a ton of money developing like on their AI research. I mean, they just pour money into all of these ventures because they can afford it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of them have really paid off and turned into major revenue drivers. So the, my, that's my question. Will we see something? I'm sure we will, but right now it's not clear. Right. Okay. Well, the other company I wanted to kind of uh, discuss briefly is one that we you love and we discussed many times here with their uh, products tesla um so tesla didn't do so well surprise surprise mr elon musk uh, missed uh, expectations what do you think that what do you think happened to them they they, they actually this they reported to yesterday me, the, or it was two days ago it was yesterday it was yesterday and the stock went down 13 percent. and it seems like people are starting to lose faith in mr um to me the bigger loss actually wasn't the earnings miss it was that their cto stepped down Right. Um, he was one of the original people at the company. He's been there since day one, and obviously, listen, I'm not, I don't. Well, he was a co-founder. He was right. He was, he, he was the guy that was there from day one, exactly. fifteen years ago. Yeah, and so he stepped down as CTO. And obviously, being a technology company, the CTO is uh, very important as compared to maybe if a bank CTO stepped down. So um, I don't know exactly. Um, I, obviously, he, he, Elon Musk and Tesla knew he was going to step down beforehand. How how long ago he decided that he was going to, I'm not sure. But um, uh, that, I, I, I don't know how, how much of an impact he had on the company as far as in the past few years. In the early days, he had a huge impact, obviously, as a co-founder. Um, so that's, that's the bigger loss to me. That was what the earnings, okay... Tesla is always up and down in the earnings. Some some quarters they beat by a ton out of nowhere, and some quarters they miss. That's kind of the Tesla way, it almost seems. But losing such a pivotal member of the team is what worries me a little bit. And, and more. the thing is that it's, it's also the way they announced this uh, people living, I mean, major founders living. I mean, Musk has this habit of just saying uh yeah yeah oh by the way our cto left and he's going to become an advisor or you know like 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 he's not important you know like he kind of leaves well, the investors a little bit blindsided i when, didn't uh, get that for people that actually bet on the jockey more than more than the horse that's a critical person to leave well i didn't get that impression that he was saying he was unimportant i just think he obviously he's not going to come out and say oh my god we're screwed because then everybody's going to panic but don't you think he can't? He doesn't want to instill worry. Companies, anything that is a C T O M O F O. Right to me, because it's the CTO, right? The technology you, you kind officer of, of a technology that company. They're looking for a replacement, that this and that, and and then finally you say, okay, we found a replacement. But now, like, oh, by the way, he left, and we have this other person stepping up and taking his job. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's just the way Elon Musk uh, runs his company, and it's fine. But uh, I think the performance obviously is there, and it's been lacking a little bit. I mean, the the, the output that he expected was missed, and then they lowered the prices of the uh, Model Three, and it's still just. At the end of the day, a production problem for them, which exactly. it is for everybody, which is, which is critical when you are basically. Well, it's a better problem than a demand problem. And it's always better to have too much demand than to have too little. So at least they have, they they just constantly have too much demand. And um, now it's funny because they're not the only ones with production problems. If you look at uh, BMW and Ford and other companies with switching to the electric production, they've been having a lot of problems too. So it turns out, oh, it's actually not that easy to just build a new supply line from scratch, um, a new production line, I should say. So, uh, listen, at the end of the day, I think the advantage that Tesla and Elon Musk has is Elon Musk is a master fundraiser. He can get money out of anywhere. So even if the company finds itself 
running out of money, I think he's going to find a way to get that money and keep the company alive. That's what Tesla, that's what Elon is so good at, and I think he'll continue to. And especially because uh, they just need to survive. I mean, it's, it's just a survival game because they're in the electric car space. They're the dominant player, and I think that five, ten years from now, they will continue to be that dominant player if they can make I'm it. I'm not so sure about that because I mean, they they had a they had a head start for sure. They were the first. New but car they're the best. They're the best selling sedan. Period. No, obviously, yeah, they do Not now. Just but, but as you know. Every other major manufacturer but no is now close. Well, they're not close. They're getting closer. I mean, Audi you know, announced closer. Their, Audi, BMW. Yeah, but Porsche. Audi announced their e-tron and did this beautiful marketing campaign and said, "Oh, it'll be available 2021." Okay. okay well, the, the same thing Tesla did. You know. Yeah, when but, they te- were but by then there will be a million. Plus, well, there's already a million plus. There's going to be yeah, but three think, million Teslas on the road. Don't you think companies like Audi, Mercedes, BMW, Porsche, uh, GM, Ford will be able to catch up faster? No. I mean, Ford just announced last week or a couple weeks ago that they're having major production issues with their electric cars. That's what I'm saying, that it's not that easy to create because the electric production line, you have to start from scratch. It's completely different than combustion. Mm-hmm. And so all of these companies are creating everything from scratch. They're doing what Tesla did four years ago. So now they have to catch up. Now, you could argue they have more experience in building production lines, but clearly it's not that easy. And that's why Audi said it's going to take them three, four years to build Well, the other factories, as you know, Tesla is not authorized to sell through uh, dealerships. Well, they don't want to. Well, they don't want to in a way, and and they're also not doing it. But they don't need to. Like I said, they don't have a demand problem. Whenever the major manufacturers catch up and they I think dealerships are on the way out. I don't think... I don't know. I think so. It'll be slow because they're very entrenched and they do a lot of lobbying. But I think I'm not saying it's going to be like, oh, in two years they're gone. But I think over the next 10 to 20, we'll see a phasing well, I think, out. I think of you always dealerships. have dealerships. It's just that they, they, they're purchasing. It's cutting out procedure. the middleman. You don't need them anymore. Uh, yeah. That's why you have all of these tech companies coming up that no, are but basically replacing the, the reason why you have the middleman is actually goes back to legislation. And dealerships provide that's a lot of tax saying. revenue to the states. Well, that's, that's what why I'm saying. I, I said they have a lot of lobbying power. Right. But exactly. I think over the next 20 years, we'll see fewer dealerships. And that's the main reason why the Tesla was a lot in, in state by state because they were basically complaining the, the dealership associations that right. they didn't but have. Right, but at the end of the day, the consumer, the market always wins. And I just think that dealerships are middlemen. The only advantage that they have is the financing. But... Even that is, there's so many uh, fintech options these days for automated financing. Mm-hmm. You don't need a dealership anymore. Okay. All right, real brief. I wanted to mention quickly uh, PayPal. Uh, PayPal is um, also actually went down. Uh, the second quarter came under expectations. But uh, uh, I know we we obviously are very familiar with PayPal. Everybody uses it. It's one of the most, uh, one of the preferred methods for payments uh, for pretty much any e-commerce solution, um, whether you use Stripe or your favorite thing. I mean, PayPal is an aggregator that is, is one of the best out there. Uh, they came lower. Uh, they Apparently, they're having some um, some um, product delays issues and also some currency uh, exchange issues and things like that. I mean, it's not very clear why they're having these problems now. And they, they kind of lower their expectations for the next quarter until they adjust. Uh, so obviously, investors always kind of tend to overreact and they panicked and the stock lowered or went down a bit after uh, their reporting. But uh, I, me, I, I don't know if PayPal is going to be in trouble, to be honest. Well, it's it's very solid. Because I've seen there's lots of new, uh, basically, fintech startups. And I think that the major thing that PayPal will be facing pressure in is pricing pressure. Um, I know there's a company called TransferWise, which is one of the faster growing mm-hmm. um basically payments companies, and they have significantly lower fees than PayPal. Right. So, Do you think that they'll see a price of squeeze? Course, of course. There's going to be a competition, and uh, PayPal is already considering that. I mean, they, they have adjustment in prices. So you, you have an e-commerce store, depending on your volume of sales, they give you different price breaks. Uh, sorry, percentage, you start with a 2.9, and then 2.4, 2.1. 1.9, you know, obviously pricing competition is going to exist no matter with. Right, but. But the convenience and the global um, reach of PayPal. PayPal is, is I know it's probably one of the few companies that is globally used, uh, so, not just in the U.S., but, but in my, Europe. My question is, they don't necessarily have anything unique as far as their product. What they have is a massive user base. Mm-hmm. 
that's why they're able to keep their prices higher as far as the fees go. But it's but they don't have necessarily a better product than transfer wise. It's just that they're much larger and they're older as well. PayPal is what twenty years old now. Well, yeah, I remember obviously you know Elon Musk. I mean, right. it was funded so, by them, and then they, it was acquired by eBay, and, and then, then split off. And then split off. But my question is, over the next, I'm not saying this is going to be instant. Like anything, it's going to take a while. But over the next five, ten years, I think we're going to see a lot of. They're going to see a lot of competition. There's a lot of they innovation right. in the finance space, mm-hmm. even with. Because, you know, they own Venmo, but they don't make any money from that. They, that was more of a user acquisition play, but they don't mm-hmm. make any money from Venmo. And I think that I think that there's going to be a price squeeze in the payments space. It's going to be able to charge fewer and fewer fees. And I want to know, I want to see how PayPal navigates that going well, into the I future. Well, I mean, it, that's always been the case. I mean, uh, this this companies, even even when you go to Visa and MasterCard, I mean, those are very, very uh, profitable companies. And I don't know if they reported yet or not, but uh, I used I to... I think Visa did. I, need, I didn't I used to own though. Visa and it, when it went IPO, actually. And uh, and they they own the space. And, and there's competition, but those companies are based on volume. And every time you swipe a card, in the case of the, of the credit cards, basically it's a fee for them. It's a profit for them. So with PayPal, it's the same thing. Every time you use uh, any type of solution, because it's, again, it's convenience. Okay, you, you go to, a, to any online type store and you find, okay, put your credit card or pay with PayPal. And it's like, okay, I don't have my credit card. I don't want to pull it out of my wallet. This and that. I just go with PayPal. This is my username and password. Yes, click, click, click. You don't do anything. and just basically the merchant will pay for the fee, but for you, there's no extra cost. So as far as the consumer goes, it's much more convenient that you can send money to friends, you can send money to family, you can pay uh, for the business, you can create your own invoice and billing. So I think they have a lot of services that people are not familiar with, and they also have their own lending uh, division, which uh, obviously has small business lending. So I, I think it's just a little hiccup for them, and, and all this, the, the uh, financing industry and the... Uh, payments industry is going through a lot of regulation to avoid fraud and everything else. So they they obviously need to adjust. And each country and and and, and European I, Union just came up with another regulation that is kicking in in um in September. So all those things are factoring in. But really, they are not just going to affect PayPal. They will affect uh, all the payment processes. I agree on the regulation. Obviously, affects everybody. But my question is that. There's just so much, there's going to be so much growing competition that I wonder, because even, okay, you could say maybe they'll beat the startups because they have the network effects. That's certainly possible. But a company that I think is in great position to potentially uh, hurt them a lot and they're already entered the space is Amazon. Amazon has Amazon Pay. Mm -hmm. And Amazon, if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. could maybe say, okay, we're going to have half the fees as PayPal. And yeah. they have the network effects. Right, right, so right. what if Amazon did that? What's PayPal's answer well, I'm then? I'm sure that PayPal is looking over that already. Yeah. So I just, I just, because there's lots of companies coming up that I think are going to really challenge PayPal, and not just PayPal, other payments companies as well. And I'm really interested in the fintech space. It's been one of the most invested in space in, in the VC world for years now. So I'm really interested to see how that space evolves. Uh, just because I think finance is one of the older industries that really hasn't had a ton of innovation, and now I think over the next decade we're going to see that. So, mm-hmm. anyways, I don't we don't have the answers, but we will definitely watch it. Right. Okay. So um, this is getting a little longer now, but we I didn't want to wrap up this podcast without discussing our major uh, monster here, which is Facebook. And also Amazon, which are two companies that we work with on a antitrust a, side. Uh, well, yeah, that and obviously Facebook reported revenues too, and they went yeah, and their FTC fine. Right, um, everything came to this quarter. The, the fine was six billion five 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 billion dollars, which was expected. And as far as Facebook revenues go, is nothing. It's just pocket change for so them. So Facebook's valued at five hundred billion dollars. So a five billion dollar fine, it stings. But yeah. it's not life changing, and they already expected it. They so. already expected it. In fact, they um, set money aside for it. When the fine, because the fine, there was another fine last week. It, was it the same fine or was it different? No, this is for the data protection. So, really, the stock hasn't really been affected by it, um, and that's because. It could have been much worse. Even the the people at the FTC said that this was a lenient fine, and. You know the beauty is that okay, it's five billion and it stings and it's it's a lot of money obviously for anybody, but for Facebook it's really just not that much. And now that kind of it's case closed, literally. They can't Mm -hmm. be fined for that again. Well, in the U.S., Europe is a whole different story. Yeah, that's true. But the the point is that 
I just think that Facebook is is they, they, they call grew it, a lot. I mean, <laughs> they call Teflon now. They they call Facebook the Teflon company. It's like no matter what happens to to Facebook with all the scandals and the Cambridge Analytica and this and that and the privacy things and the, the videos and the this and that. The only threat they keep adding more users yeah. and they keep increasing and the especially revenue. Especially. Instagram and WhatsApp continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Facebook obviously has 2.2 billion. It's going to be tough for them to continue to grow, even though they're still trying to in emerging economies, Africa and India. Uh, but obviously those, comp those places aren't going to be, the user value is not going to be as high because they just don't have as much money for spending on, on goods. So the ad revenue won't be as much, but they're still going to try to grow users for Facebook. But overall, they own three of the most used platforms in the world. So to knock them down, like uh, what I was going to say is the only thing that could really take Facebook down is antitrust. And that's the big unknown. Now, if, uh, say, who knows what's going to happen in the election next year, say, uh, I don't think she will be elected, but say like Elizabeth Warren wins. I don't think she will, but if she does or someone else, or even, it does, even if, um, someone who's not so antitrust heavy wins, but then Congress decides to really take action um, and split up, say, Facebook and Instagram or something of that nature, or the EU tries to put major pressure on them. That's the only threat that I really see. Basically, unless the government comes in and does something, I, I don't think anything's going to stop Facebook. But, I mean, the, the, the pro that they are, we're discussing now is just not, not just for Facebook, it's also for uh, Google. Or Alphabet. Yeah, and Amazon. And Amazon. So Amazon is one that I'm intimately familiar with because I do my Amazon weekly newsletter, which I'll mm -hmm. plug real quick. You can go to mgredge.com slash join if you want to join that. But uh, anyways, it's a weekly Amazon newsletter about everything Amazon. And I talk about it almost every week now about the antitrust that's going on with Amazon. And the biggest thing that's happened, and this isn't necessarily, there's kind of two things that's happening to Amazon. Uh, one is on its uh, liability side. And the others on the antitrust side. On the liability side, uh, they lost a few key cases in the past m few months that really are going to hurt them. Or, and I wouldn't say hurt them, but are going to hurt the sellers on the platform. And that is that now it is abundantly clear that courts are going to make Amazon liable for the products that are for the third party products that they sell before Amazon was always kind of skating around so that if something happened with a third party sellers product, they kind of say, well, it's on the third party seller. Mm -hmm. And now uh, there's been multiple cases where they've lost and had to have multi-million dollar it's funny settlements. because even that that is part of the uh, kind of terms and conditions that the sellers sign off on when when they become right. amazon sellers saying you are responsible for and the safety of your own products or it, anything else it makes sense obviously and amazon the court said no no amazon you, you amazon a, are still responsible they're a marketplace they're a platform and they have millions of sell two million sellers so it's incredibly difficult to keep track mm -hmm. of everything um but now because they are basically being held liable. They lost a case in Tennessee where they're going to owe, I think, $2 million because uh, uh, one of those hoverboards mm -hmm. burned down a house. And they couldn't even... It was from some Chinese seller. They could never track them down. Person disappeared. Was it the battery? That it was the battery. For, okay. And then... Um, another case in Ohio they lost that held them liable for something else. So basically, they're saying, I don't care if about the third-party sellers. You, Amazon, are now being held liable. And because that's the case, Amazon is just going to have to start cracking down on sellers, which is unfortunate. Oh, we've just, seen it already. We've seen, we've much seen more, it already. It's, it's much more difficult but to pass all the uh, tests to become a seller. I anticipate it's going to be even more so. That's mm -hmm. the downside. So really, these these things end up hurting sellers more in but the end. But that's more on the, uh, on the, on the um, lawsuit type side. Of, but the, as far as the antitrust, I the think... The antitrust. Uh, because, I mean, you know, Amazon is not just the seller and basically putting any other big box retailer in either out of business or in dire straits. It's also the fact that they also own Amazon Web Services, which well, hosts all major major platforms the the biggest thing that they have and so I, I wrote in the newsletter that went out earlier this week that it's amazon things are kind of uh coming down from all sides right now because they had last week they were on capitol hill testifying in front of congress and then this week the eu launched a probe into them basically and they were actually looking at uh, the biggest because the thing with amazon is that at the end of the day they're a great consumer product 
So it's hard to say that they're traditionally antitrust is saying, oh, you have a monopoly and you're gouging people with prices mm-hmm. like we've seen with oil, other things. But Amazon definitely does not gouge with prices. They have the lowest prices. And so they're not taking advantage of the consumer necessarily. It's actually more taking advantage of other businesses. And the biggest way that they do that is... Um, which which is what the EU is investigating, that they have all of the consumer data. And so what they do is find the best-selling products on Amazon on their own platform and then basically copy them, make their own, and instead of having to pay f- ads to be on the first page like everybody else, they just put themselves on the first page. And they make ton- uh, almost 40% of their revenue now actually comes from their own brands. And people don't realize mm-hmm. they actually own over a dozen brands. They do, they do. If you ever see uh, Solimo or Good Threads, I think is what another one, like all these brands, before it was just Amazon Basics, but now just they have look at, all these just different Just look at brands. the footer of the Amazon.com website and you'll see oh, yeah. it from Zappos to Audi to this to that I mean they own a bunch of brands right and those are third party sites and those are third party brands but I'm talking about actually on Amazon yeah Amazon a lot of the brands Mm -hmm. they don't label it as Amazon but it is and but the big difference is they don't have to pay to be on the first page and because that you know when you're when you're a seller on Amazon you always have to account for the ad costs but because they don't have ad costs they can undercut the competition and they're basically taking and advantage. And their own sellers. Right. They're taking advantage. And mm-hmm. so that's what the EU is looking at. And that's right. the biggest case against them for antitrust. But as far as taking advantage of the consumer, they don't. So that's why I think Amazon is somewhat safe. I think the companies that could be more in trouble are Google and Facebook when it comes to antitrust. Because uh, just it's almost like you would never allow Facebook. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Instagram had 10 million users when, when Facebook bought them. But you would never allow now if Instagram and Facebook were separate companies for them to merge. That would never mm-hmm. be allowed. And so the question is, should they be split up? And that's the question that basically the legislators are going to have to answer. Um, the, now, the other question is, are they tech savvy enough to understand all the implications? Well, of these they're things? getting there. I mean, the Congress knows that they cannot have a 80 year old congressman asking questions to uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Or, so, I mean, they're, they're getting there. And, and frankly, Honestly, I mean, they may not be able to know the uh, all the intricacies of Facebook or or Google to just decide you guys have too much power, too much data, and you need to come up with a solution or we're going to do it for you, you know. So we'll see. That's going to be interesting. Um, any other um, topics you'd like to discuss? Preview of your podcast, what are you doing this week? Uh, I will be talking about Facebook, but I'll actually be talking about Facebook's Libra coin. Oh, crypto, cryptocurrency. And, um, I have an interesting theory. I previewed it on my last podcast last week uh, as to what Facebook's goals and ambitions are with Libra. But isn't that amazing with everything that is going on through Facebook and everything now that they still decide, oh, we're going to put out a cryptocurrency now. It's going to be Libra. It's like, you guys don't have enough things to be because, worried about and just bring one more to the market. I think that really proves the point that they're a juggernaut. They really they just are unstoppable. <laughs> Zuckerberg, is, you, can, you can call Zuckerberg a lot of things, but you cannot say that he's not a executioner when yeah, it comes like, to give business. the press just one more thing to say oh now you're gonna basically take payments via cryptocurrency with your own currency and then just keep everything within your uh, ecosystem like we were talking about now you even have your own currency so anyways i don't know much about libra so i can't really uh, give you my opinion i've read a little bit like everybody like headlines but uh, well, they, they, they can they, tune they, in tomorrow and they, learn all about it okay we'll do that all right well this is it for today thank you for listening to mgr unplugged and uh, we'll be back again next week i really don't know i have a couple of guests that i have uh semi-confirmed i don't know which one will come first there are two young people uh in different um uh fields of uh, expertise uh but we'll announce them uh, next week so until then have a great day and weekend and we'll see you soon bye everybody